okay. If you're a journalist who uses the tool Help a Reporter Out, or Harrow, listen up. Harrow is moving to Cision's new app, Connectively. But what is Connectively? Well, imagine a place where you can quickly connect with expert sources for your next story. Connectively is a new app from Cision that's changing the way journalists like us, content creators, experts and PRs work together. So if you're in search of credible sources, Connectively is your next stop. With just a click, you can publish your queries. These go straight to a feed where experts from loads of different backgrounds can respond, giving you their expertise. So go on, visit connectively.us to sign up for free. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T-I-V-E-L-Y dot U-S. Connectively dot us. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Lily Cantor. And I'm Emma Wilkinson. And welcome back to the final series of the year. We've mixed things up a bit for this series and we are focusing on specialisms. So we're speaking to a range of different freelance journalists all about their particular niches. But as always, we're going to start the week with our win of the week. So Emma, over to you. What's yours this week? Well, I think finally I've been a bit I've been feeling a bit unproductive this week. And actually, when I add up all the things that I've done, I don't think I have been unproductive at all. But I just feel like I haven't finished a big piece of work. But I've just um, done today this morning and a thousand word article and I'm on the way to finishing another 750 word article. So I think I'm going to end the week feeling a bit more satisfied than than I had earlier so it's a bit it's not much is it actually just doing my job but I feel like that is a bit of a win because I've just been feeling a bit all over the place this week what about you Lily yeah I think it ebbs and flows doesn't it like some weeks you can be super productive and you can be smashing out loads of articles and then other weeks you might only do one so I think it's all part and parcel of it um I think mine for me is (laughs) I did probably the laziest pitch um last week where I literally sent an editor five headlines um and I said if you want to know any more information about each of these ideas let me know um and he came back and commissioned three of them and I literally had just given a headline and that was it so it was a big win I was like this is the perfect way to pitch just send this, a headline yeah this is really getting pitching down to its bare bones isn't it I'm yeah. assuming this is an editor that you already knew and had worked I with before I do know I haven't written anything for him before but I've written for sister publications right, okay. so he knows what I can do and their styles are very similar um so I think he knows I get I get them um so that's why yeah it made it very quick and easy to do yeah I can definitely see a newsletter coming on there oh it's going to these pictures yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) absolutely okay fantastic right it's time to introduce our guest uh today we have with us arts and culture journalist precious Adesina. Her work has appeared in a long list of places, including BBC Culture, New York Times, Financial Times, The Cut, ID, The Economist, The Independent, and more. 
Precious also has given a number of talks on writing about the arts and currently hosts a monthly radio show. Hi, Precious. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good. So lovely to have you here. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, it's it's great. And where we'd like to start is, as we do with our guests, is to find out a bit more about your work um, and your specialism in particular. So can you tell us kind of how you ended up writing about arts and culture? Um, I think that has always been one of my main interests from when I was a child. Um, so I grew up in Shoreditch, um, so a very central London. Um, used to go to a lot of arts and culture things that uh, my parents would take me to um, and because it was sure that it was also in Hackney so not all of it was the big places sometimes it was like um, small art events or even you know something at the library um, yeah so that's kind of always been my interest and then I used to do an after school club growing up on journalism so I think it was a natural route for me uh, it wasn't an intentional one. I think it was not until the, my end of university when I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And everyone was like, what was all this journalism stuff for? <laughs> and then I realized that actually that kind of made sense. Um, so yeah, I thought initially I would go into something more political, um, but I realized I liked using arts and culture as like a conduit to talk about political topics or socio-political topics um, in the way that felt more accessible and less overt um yeah fantastic and I think you and I are quite similar even though we're writing about completely different fields and um, because am I right in thinking that you did an art history degree um first um because I did a science degree and then did a journalism MA and went into kind of writing about health and medicine do you think it helped you to have that kind of specialist education in sort of art history topics to be a, a sort of writer in this field you know to what extent did that help you along the way do you think yeah um it was definitely helpful so I studied art um, history of art material studies which uh, the small bit on the side is like art conservation um which I barely I don't use that at all anymore actually <laughs> um I think I don't think it's needed I think as long as you have an interest in it um and can grow that interest it kind of is fine for anyone to kind of build the knowledge in art history but I definitely think it's helped in that I think I have all the background not all the but a lot of background context on things and I can notice influences of artists quite a lot or I can more quickly draw and stuff um, but actually I think the biggest thing has just been learning as I go along so with each article I write about art I learn something more um, and it kind of grows from there really yeah yeah it's that sort of organic process so yeah. so tell us a bit more about how you actually got into freelancing because I believe you had staff jobs previously so kind yes. of how did freelancing come about um, so this is my second time going freelancing. Um, the first time I went freelance was much earlier in my career. Um, just like after my master's, I had done an internship at the Financial Times on the arts and culture desk, and then also an internship at Time magazine. Um, and that time was a bit more by accident in that there was a gap um, before the next thing. And 
I decided that I actually liked what I was doing um, and the process. Obviously, then no one, not many people knew who I was. It was a lot harder, um, but I felt like the reason why, it, I just felt like people took a lot of interest in my writing and my work and also taking a chance on me. So the freelancing quite grew into something that I was really proud of. Um, but because when I first started, I didn't really know about freelancing. I had applied to everything and anything. And it was when people saw what I was doing with my freelancing that um, a telegraph got in touch saying, oh, I think a while ago you showed interest in us. Would you be interested in coming in um, to chat about this role that we have um, that you've shown interest in um, a very long time ago? It was like very long. I was very confused. I had to actually go through my emails to see if I'd actually shown interest in that role. And um, yeah, and I came in and they were like, um, yeah, just, I think it was a case of that they had a role that they didn't fill for a very long time. And they went back and they remembered me from when I was doing my master's as well. And I had applied for their graduate scheme. And they were like, okay, this would be a good person. Because I got to like the final stage of that their grad scheme. Um, yes, and then I was there for a long time. Um, I would say it was maybe like two and a half years, but most of that was during the pandemic. Um, so I, I couldn't say how long I would have actually been there if it wasn't the pandemic. Um, because I did realize that I like freelancing was more what I was interested in. I think I'm very self-motivated um, and I kind of like working with different people. And the people that I work with when I'm freelancing are people that I genuinely enjoy working with. Um, and the range of articles are quite big as a result. Um, so yeah, I had noticed that. So once the pandemic was over, I, I just returned really. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think we hear that quite often from other freelancers that it's about the variety and the kind of control and doing different things that just, yeah, that's why they've kind of opted to to do that. Um, I mean, obviously you had that stint as a very early journalist then and then came back to it. Are there things that you'd learned that say that second time round you approach things differently or you just had more kind of understanding or knowledge of how it worked? How did that evolve over time? Yeah, for sure. I think I was coming back with a lot more confidence the second time uh, round. Um, the first time round, I did not know anything about freelancing in that I had written a piece once while I was doing my master's that did really well. And people started asking me if I was interested in writing other stuff. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, I could do this. And then I realized there was way more of an art to being a freelancer. It's not just you write an article here and there. Like it's actually, you need multiple things going on to sustain yourself and you need um, you need to be quite ideas driven. Um, so I'd learned a lot of these things, but I'd also having started so early, I'd like grown with people. So when I was returning to freelancing, it was just a case of talking to the people I had spoken to before and working with them again. And through doing those articles, I actually started working with other people too. So it felt like a very natural process, but I also read books as well on how to be a freelancer. And someone I followed from the very start of my career is Anna Codriaredo. Um, and actually she was very helpful because I remember when I started freelancing, I went to an event that she was holding, um, it was around Christmas time on, um, it was like an event for people who didn't work in an office. And I went and I literally, every advice she ever gave back then, I would hold it dear to my heart. I remember one idea she told me was pitch to fail. And I still do that today. 
and it has transformed my career in that I don't just pitch to people that I know will say yes if there's a dream publication and I want to work with them I will send them an idea if even if I think they're definitely going to say no, because it surprises you who will actually say yes in the end. Um, so I think stuff like that really helped. So when I was coming back to freelancing, I read her book on how to be a freelancer um, called You're the Business, um, which was very helpful, actually, and because it made me realise I needed to be a bit more business minded in the way in which I approached my journalism as a freelancer, um, which has been really helpful because sometimes I really want to do a story and the amount of time it will take the pay everything just doesn't make sense and it's made it a lot easier to say no which I find really difficult to do yeah yeah it is it is really hard um being able to say no and and being able to take that step back and balance up you know the time yeah. and the effort against the pay no matter how kind of passionately you feel about a story it's it's really important to be able to do that and I suppose one thing you, you've been able to do as well is to work with quite diverse publications. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, if you one minute you're pitching to Vice and then to the FT, like, do you take a different approach for sort of different publications? It's a bit, not really, but that is not necessarily in the way in which I pitch. As in like the way in which I pitch is the same, and it actually changes on how well I know them. What is different is the story itself. So I usually have a story idea and then think about the publication that would like that idea and then pitch it to them. Um, and that has been, I found the best way to do it um, because I feel like the more I write about arts and culture, the more I'm like, oh my gosh, I think the economist would really like that. Um, and then I send it to them. And obviously they don't always say yes, that's just part of the job um but I feel like I have been told I have a knack for kind of getting what a publication like is looking for kind of I don't know if everyone would agree with that so I'm sure one of my editors is like are you sure about that precious <laughs> yeah I mean with that in mind I guess do you read quite widely as well to kind of get that sense of what people are after what their audiences are like what other kind of uh, articles that they're doing um, in the section that you're interested in? Um, I do, but not with a, a goal in mind. I think because it, like, I think my job is very much centered around my interests. So I think it's very much natural. And I think that's where I'm, I think I'm lucky in that, you know, I don't have to seek out, oh, I need to like look at this and look at that to do my job because it's something I'm naturally doing anyway. So I actually do want to know what exhibitions are on. I do want to see the latest TV show. I do want to see a film. I want to read about social politics. So it's usually just a natural, um, oh, I heard about this. What does this mean? And then a story idea might come from that. But also my interests because it's my interest it's something I would be, I'm doing anyway so I might go to see something with my friend or talk to my friend about something and the idea comes from that so I think it's you know it's a bittersweet thing in that my life is very much intertwined with my work and I know a lot of people say that's not a good thing but I think it's good for it's been good for me because it is actually something I I'm really passionate about so yeah yeah absolutely I mean I get that because I write a lot about running and if I'm not writing about running I am running 
And if I'm yeah. not running, I'm coaching other people to run. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. this constant loop that I'm like living in. Um, but if that's where your passions lie, then isn't it great that you can, you know, intertwine that with your work? So I guess that's, yeah. you know, that's the great thing about being freelance. But I mean, as you mentioned there, um, you also kind of, I guess, write a bit more broadly about social political issues. Um, so do you think it's kind of important that you're not kind of too niche in a way and that that you are able to kind of spread your wings a little bit? Yeah, so I do social political issues and lifestyle as well. Um, and actually, I didn't intentionally um, intentionally write so much about art, even though it's my interest. And because I, I think that's what I write about most. Um, it's just naturally what people wanted from me, because a lot of the art stuff I write, while some of them are my ideas, a lot of them is something someone else has asked me to write or they've asked me for ideas related to art um so that's kind of how it happened I think I do enjoy having like broad ideas and I do sometimes speak to editors and be like oh actually I also like this this and this um that isn't arts and culture if you're interested in that um I think being pigeonholed has its positives and its negatives I think I might not have as much work if people didn't know me as an arts and culture writer and someone who writes a lot about art so I think that's the positive and it's something that I particularly enjoy and I think it's happened that way because it's maybe what I'm best at um but then you also you don't want it to become monotonous which obviously if it becomes too monotonous you lose that drive which you don't want to do so I think it's nice to have some variety and to push yourself as well yeah absolutely I mean I found that as a specialist that um people will come to you because you get known for writing about a thing but you don't want yeah. to limit yourself too much um one thing that I wanted to ask you about was sort of I may be coming at this from someone with a science background but arts and culture can sometimes be seen as very sort of highbrow or inaccessible is that something that you try to address in your writing to kind of make it more relevant or maybe seek out more diverse topics that aren't always going to get sort of covered yeah so I actually think that is maybe my niche in that the way in which I write about arts and culture I think anyway is accessible and I think that was really important to me especially as someone who grew up in Shoreditch um where you know I didn't grow up in an environment where loads of people knew about arts and culture actually um when I told my mom I wanted to study history of art she was like wow, you just decided just like that, you're going to throw your life away. She didn't quite say it like that. She, she was quite supportive, but she was very, very confused because um, it was not like a natural sort of thing for me and my family. And But through that, it made me learn about the how inaccessible history of art is or art, um, arts and culture um, and like strive to write in a way and address topics and exhibitions in a way that, reaches a broader um, group of people um, who may not be so knowledgeable or, you know, may be interested in artwork, but don't understand how it relates to anything. And I kind of try and move the story along. So the artwork will relate to the world that we live in. Um, so it becomes much broader and less just about the artwork itself. And yeah. does that also extend to the talks that you give about arts writing? Is that, is that, really about kind of encouraging more people to get involved and and kind of 
you know, and yeah. lifting the lid on that. I mean, ha- what would your advice be then to sort of new journalists looking to get into this field? Yeah, so uh, most of the art talks I do on like writing about arts and culture, it's usually to a younger audience, which has been weird because I started doing them when I felt like I was still, well, I, I am still young, but like I felt like I wasn't far off them. Um, but I just feel like it, it it's important to have a diverse group of voices and um, for people not to be afraid of journalism. I think people are afraid of the journalism because it's such a cutthroat industry. Um, and I think my advice has kind of changed over the years, but if I was to give one single advice, I think it would be to back yourself, really. I think it's an industry where it's very easy to take someone's opinion so personally um, and because it is a cutthroat industry at the end of the day and people kind of do um, sometimes you get advice and it feels hurtful um, and it's kind of having that drive to understand that okay this person is giving me advice what should I take for that but not taking it as you're terrible you know um, and that it's like having room to grow and still understanding yourself and that you you're gonna get better if that's the best way to do it. and also you know in the same vein as that and what I said before in being not being afraid of failing I think that's important um and reaching out to people I think that is maybe one of the things that I realize now that I was good at in you know asking people for advice, sending emails. And I've always been that way. I think, you know, from a young age, I, I was quite proactive and it was not an intentional thing. It was just, I'm a very enthusiastic person. So I always want to learn more. So I message people like, hey, you know, I was thinking about this. Can I come in and see this? Or can I speak to you about this? And I realized later on that that is probably what worked in my favor because then people start rooting for you and you are you don't even realize that that you've started that because you've been messaged them every day for a very long time so yeah yeah and you never know where those connections are going to lead either like you yeah. said with getting the telegraph job that that was something that you'd not even remembered <laughs> showing yeah, an interest yeah. in a in a position there so things can come back to you and when you said about um pitch to fail as well I was thinking I've actually had work where the pitch has not gone anywhere but they've got back in touch with something else just because yeah. like that they know my name then yeah yeah um you mentioned before about how freelance is so kind of ideas driven so could you talk to us a bit more about sort of where you get your ideas from or maybe how you develop ideas if it's just a case of oh this exhibition's on but kind of how do you then take that to something unique yeah so it's it's changed over the years because now I think it comes more naturally to me especially as in arts and culture the more you grow as a journalist the more people also send you ideas and so you can you there's less work that you have to do um to find those ideas but I started off um maybe be more proactive what I was reading as you mentioned before also I used to like put um alerts for phrases that I was particularly interested in so it might be like um, a google alert for like activism and art or you know feminism and art or tv and this and sometimes article ideas would come from that but it was also just listening 
to people and what they were saying and doing your own research. So one of the ideas I was proudest of, of in the past when I was a bit newer to journalism um, was an idea about the alternative music scene in Nigeria. Um, and it was because I'd gone to see my friend and her cousin was here from Nigeria and she was playing some tunes. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of this. And she was like, you don't know about the Ote scene. And I was like, I don't think the Ote scene is something popular here. And I Googled it and it was so popular in Nigeria and parts of Africa, but nobody had covered it here. And now like, and I wrote one of the first articles outside of the, the, the country. And it literally was just from hearing someone mention it. Um, so I was you know, very excited about that. Um, obviously today the alternative music scene in Nigeria is more popular, um, still not as popular as other versions of um, Nigerian music, but um, it is, like, these artists are really well known now. So it was, it's, you know, it's also about timing as well, like catching things at the right time. Um, and like, why is this relevant right now? I think, um, yeah. Um, I think a lot of my ideas also now come from kind of what's popular, but like taking aspects of it, as I've mentioned, and like turning it on its head. So, okay, there's a, a, a film that's come out, but there's an aspect in the film that's really interesting that I've seen in something else too. Like maybe there's a trend here. Maybe we should look into that trend. And then I'll message an editor like, I've noticed this trend. What do you think? And then they'll be like, oh no, I think you're wrong. Or they might be like, yeah, you're right. And then it goes from there. Yeah. Um, so I think those, that's more how my ideas come about now and um, just through observation and yeah yeah and it's being immersed isn't it in yeah. in all those things that you're interested in so you can see those trends and and join yeah. the dots in those ways if you're if you're not consuming media you're you're not going to have that in the first yeah. place I mean I've had yeah similarly I've had ideas like I've been watching a documentary about someone and I'm like how come I've never heard about this person? And like, yeah. just because there's a documentary on a, a streaming platform doesn't mean there isn't an audience outside of that. So you could, you know, then follow it, you know, into a print story. So yeah, I think, you know, that is a really good way of getting ideas. Um, and one thing that we haven't really touched on yet is your radio show. So can you tell us a bit more about that? What's What's that covering? Yeah, so my radio show is for a local radio station around London Fields called Lettle Radio. Um, and the main thing I do for it is speak to musicians and DJs about one thing they're passionate about outside of their career. So it's called One Thing. Um, and part of that is that I also play music. I don't interview people for every single show, um, but most of them there's an interview um, because part of it is also, you know, when I play the music, if it's if I've interviewed someone, the music will be related to the interviewee but if it's no one it might just be like a vibe like a oh i went on a nature walk here are, has some uh you know ambient music um or you know i'm feeling you know in the party mood i might play some house music or some techno or something um so it's like adjacent to journalism but i would say it's more like for fun um and it's just very similar to what i do for my job um but i never went I've never gone to it as in like this is work I go with it because go to it because I enjoy it um yeah yeah it's nice to have that kind of freedom and flexibility isn't it to do those yeah. kind of different projects that we're interested in or think you know 
outside in other interests that we have that kind of might connect to our work but you don't have to go to an employer and say is it okay if I do this you can just kind of yeah go with the flow um which probably brings us quite nicely to my next question which is I wonder what the most positive thing about freelancing is for you and I suppose to keep it balanced we should also say what's the most frustrating thing about freelancing yeah so the positive is I guess like the freedom as I've mentioned before and I imagine a lot of journalists will um, identify with that Um, I don't think I'm a person for office politics at all Um, I find it really difficult actually um, to to be involved in office office politics and I think that's a big part of being in the office like you know having to you know everything needs to be run by your manager or you know there's conflicts in the office and between maybe two senior people and you're kind of involved even if you're not or um the you know lack of flexibility I don't know I just feel like in the office there's a lot more everything goes through someone or you know and it's just more strict um and when you work for yourself you 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 don't really have to obviously you have your editors and there's people involved but it's just not the same I I don't know if I'm articulating that very well um but yes um the positive is the freedom um and working with different people and then the the downsides doesn't have to be a downside yeah well there definitely are obviously most obvious one maybe is late invoices which Mm. everyone who's freelance goes through at some point um I think um and of course not everyone can afford a late invoice that can be very detrimental and I'm always really surprised when that happens um that it's still happening and you know there's no rhyme or reason to who will give you a late payment it could be anybody really um doesn't matter how big or small the publication is um so that's one and I guess I still feel like within freelancing like black journalists still are struggling in terms of the recognition getting the recognition that they deserve getting the stories being paid appropriately for for things um you know awards there's like a lot of things that I think a lot of black journalists still aren't um, receiving or getting recognized for, which means there are just fewer freelance black journalists, but I guess there are also fewer black journalists as a whole. So um, that's one thing that I think is a real downside. And yeah, I find it quite disappointing um, because, you know, I think there are some amazing black writers that deserve to be recognized more than they are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think diversity in the industry is something that just comes up again and again and again. Um, You know, like you say, with black writers and also with class as well. And just kind of, do you just have to be kind of rich and middle class to even enter the industry these days? It's just, you kind of just see it over and over. And then the downside of that is the stories don't get told. Like you just have the same kind of voices over and over again. And that's that's just boring so you would think that there would be an impetus there but it never seems to properly change um I would say that my kind of frustration and um positives there were just the same as yours I hated office politics when I was in an office it can just get so toxic and everyone just like gets into a spiral of really low morale and you just think yeah 
I just want to get on and do my <laughs> do and my job. Thing. I just want to get the work done. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, what, what is all this, this other things that are going on? <laughs> yeah, when you enjoy the work, just do the work and then go and do something else yeah. and enjoy the rest of your life. Yeah, flexibility, definitely. Um, thank you so much, Precious. It's been really fascinating to talk to you. Before we sign off, um, we really want to get your recommendation of a piece of work by a freelance journalist. Have you got something in mind that you'd like to share? Yes, um, it's a column by Charlie Brinkhurst Cup. Um, she's my friend, um, but I was a fan of her before she was my friend, funnily enough. Um, it is quite weird that like I'm a fan of her, I was a fan of her work and now we're friends, but I think it's an industry thing, maybe it's just more industry. <laughs> and um her column at the moment, she started one recently on friendship. Um, and I think actually that's been a very inspiring column. I think she's quite honest in it. It's for Stylist magazine. Um, and I think a lot of people maybe don't give the topic of friendship the attention that it deserves. Um, like, you know, if you break up with a friend, it's not seen as serious as maybe, you know, breaking up with a long-term partner, but actually the effects can sometimes be even more detrimental in terms of there's a big, can be a big hole in your life. Um, so I really do appreciate um, that column. I've enjoyed it um, quite a lot. Fantastic. Right. Well, we'll dig that out and we'll add it to our show notes um, so yeah. our listeners can go away and, and have a look at that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. So we're going to bring it to a close for this episode now. Just to let our listeners know, if you want bonus podcast episodes, you can come become a premium newsletter subscriber where you'll also get access to an extra weekly newsletter. And all of our other resources are on our website, freelancingforjournalists.com. Yes, and we also want to say thanks to our producer, Maddie. And uh, yeah, bye for now. Goodbye.